Welcome to YGTV and YG One on One, written by Flex Scripts and sponsored by Health Payment Systems. I'm your host, Paul M. Newberger, founder and CEO of the Young Guns Movement. On YG One on One, I bring CEOs, business leaders, and more to the set right here at Serendipity Labs to discuss who they are, what they do, and how they got there. YG One on One, written by Flex Scripts, is just one of four shows here on YGTV, our very own channel designed to help you grow and succeed in your career, business, and life. If you haven't yet clicked the subscribe button below, what are you waiting for? Do that now so you don't miss a single episode of YGTV. If you're on the go, you can also listen to this episode on the Young Guns Podcast. My guest today is the indomitable Jim Colehart, owner of Saturn Lounge, the premier marketing agency. Jim and his company are a force to be reckoned with, to be sure, in branding, web design, advertising, and so much more. After this short break, please join me in welcoming Jim Colehart right here on the set of YG One on One. Welcome to the Young Guns Podcast, bringing together entrepreneurs and business leaders that break the rules and challenge conventional wisdom. Thanks, and enjoy the show in three, two, one. Our guest today is Jim Colehart, owner of Saturn Lounge. Jim, wonderful to have you on the program. Thank you for the invitation, Paul. It's great to, it's great to be here. Now, I'm going to try to be on my best <laughs> behavior because we get us two knuckleheads together. I know we can uh, get into some trouble, so I'm going to try to really behave for you. And there's editing, so, you know, if there's anything that... Uh, that we don't really want to share, we can edit it right out, good, right? Good to know. Good. We might have to take advantage <laughs> of that. Have, we might need that. Yes, absolutely. Well, one of the things that I really admire about you, Jim, is not only are you a good business person, you're also very passionate. And I think anybody that has ever spent any time around you recognizes you're very passionate about what you do. You have this zest for life that is highly infectious. So I have to ask, this would be a great starting point. Where did your passion for marketing come from? You know, I just, as a, as a student in high school especially, I, I thought about a lot of different career options. I mean, I, I love sports, so I thought maybe a sportscaster would be ideal. In fact, my buddy and I, we did high school games at that time, and, and after, um, you know, color and play-by-play and, uh, and -play of games on cable television, you know. Um, and I had a real p a passion for uh, astronomy and uh, the weather, and uh, I thought maybe a... TV weatherman would be fun, you know, being on TV every day, uh, delivering the forecast. Mm -hmm. But really, my parents uh, had a family business, Bob Key Paint, in the Milwaukee area, and I was I was very involved um, throughout my school years with the business. I would work basically any day that wasn't a school day, that was just an expectation. And I did it with joy. I mean, it was fun for me to see how Dad was running the business with his brother-in-law and his cousin and. And it got me kind of that bug for entrepreneurship and, and sales and marketing were really my uh, forte or where I gravitated in the business. My dad would say, oh, the customers love it when you kind of help you know, take the cardboard out to their car or help them find the right paint and things like that. So I just got kind of that bug for business and then sales and marketing were way more exciting to me talking to the clients than you know, dusting cans and putting them on the shelf and pulling stuff out of the basement and bringing it up, up to retail and things like that. As fun as that sounds, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that was all part of it, uh, cleaning, cleaning the warehouse, um, unloading uh, huge trucks of, of heavy paint and materials. I just really 
found that I gravitated to talking to the customers and, uh, and being an evangelist for the business wherever I could in the community. So I think it's really just my upbringing and being around that family business. Well, you mentioned being a, a sportscaster, and I think we've all been there. I know my brother and I used to do the same thing. You'd have a sporting event on, you turn the, the sound all the way down, and it's like you're calling the game. Yeah. So when you did the sportscasting, did, did you have any cool catchphrases, any signature lines that Jim Colhart was known for back in the day? Oh, boy. It's been a while, but I can't remember anything of that, of that type. But I just remember just being very excited about, you know, being at the games, being that close, being able to report what I was seeing. My friend Mike actually did all the play-by-play -play and I did the color commentary. So um, it, 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 was, it was a blast. It was something he really wanted to do too at that time. He, he ended up in a sales career as well. Um, you really have to, I think, sacrifice in any career situation, but to, you know, to get into those high-level broadcast journalism type positions, you, you have to work your way up a, a ladder if you're not an athlete, you know? And I, I, I was an athlete, but not very, not very good. You know, it wasn't like I was going to be playing college sports or anything like that. What about you, Paul? Did you have any catchphrases that, uh, that you used at the time? No, I mean, the, the only one that I keep coming back to is from uh, Anchorman. Whammy! <laughs> so uh, I'll steal that one. There sure. you go. I, I said that. But, you know, one of the things that would have worked out very well for you and I for a career in radio, we both have faces for radio. There you go. So I think we could have had a lucrative <laughs> career in that regard. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Well, I, you know, you, you had talked about... Uh, some of these role models and influences in your life. And we're certainly going to get into more about what you do at Saturn Lounge because you yeah. guys do some truly amazing things. I've been blessed to be your client now. Satisfied client for the last several years. Thank so you. I really enjoyed working Very with much. you. But, but let's keep uh, thinking about what made Jim Colhart uh, the, the person you are today back in the day. O outside of the obvious, you know, parents and family and stuff like that. Yeah. As you were growing up, Jim, who were some of the biggest influences in your life and why? You know, I... I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was a small child. And I, I've been a Christian my whole life. I don't have one of those uh, wow moments like some Christians where they really realize they need that in their life. I just, from a small child, was exposed to uh, the message of God and Jesus and just embraced it like, like a small child can. And I've, I've kind of tried to remain like a small child in my faith my whole life, and I'm 55 years old now. But I think my faith, number one. And then uh, besides my mother and father, um, it was just people that I gravitated to that were you know, athletes or celebrities, kind of. I remember uh, being a huge Bucks fan and loving uh, that 80s Bucks team and all the players, Sidney Moncrief and Marcus Johnson and that group. And, I think I was even a larger Packer fan, and James Lofton was my absolute favorite Packer, uh, the receiver. And uh, that was the era where the Packers never had any success in terms of playoff wins or things like that. But there was always that hope that maybe they would, uh, they would become a really competitive and championship-level team. So really, really just my faith in God and Jesus Christ, and then my mom and dad, and it drops off a lot after that, but I did gravitate to big, uh, big athletes and sports stars and music stars. I was a big music guy as well, played in bands all through high school and college. Again, not good enough to be a pro. Um, well, it's funny, I never would have guessed you were in a band with flowing <laughs> hair like that. This is a shocker to me. It was so fun to be up on stage <laughs> and have the crowd react to the music, you know, and to the performance. And, I, I, I played keyboards and sang backup uh, vocals, and but I knew I just knew I wasn't that talented at these things, you know. So I always felt like, okay, um, you're not going to be an NBA player, you're not going to be a rock star, 
but you can help run a business or someday run a business, and that's really became for me the practical, but still yet kind of exciting opportunity to pursue. Well, you know, one of the things that really kind of strikes me as we have this conversation is you are just an exceptionally well-rounded person. There is more to Jim Colhart than meets the eye, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you talk about you being an athlete. You talk about you wanting to be a sportscaster. You mentioned astronomy. Sorry, I never would have guessed you had an interest in astronomy as yeah. much as I okay. love <laughs> music, all these kind of faith. I mean, I mean, has, has you, ha, would you say that it's accurate to say that because you've been so well-rounded in your life and you have so many passions that that has helped equip you for the success you have today? I really do, and it's funny because it's not something I've sat around and thought about, but just having this conversation with you today, mm -hmm. Paul, uh, I think that is a major factor. I, 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 I always kind of felt like I was the, the kid that was good at a lot of stuff but great at nothing, and uh, I, I was fine with that a lot in life, you know? I, I mean, I was... Uh, the president of the student union, you know, and in the National Honor Society. So it wasn't like I was just some goofball just doing uh, music and sports. I mean, I took a real interest in everything going on at school, and I loved all the classmates at school. And, but, but I was never the best. Um, I think for, well, for senior class, I was voted most likely to be president. And, uh, of the United States? Of the U.S., which never really <laughs> I got close with that. And uh, best legs which I'm very proud of. I wow. may be more proud of the best legs designation. As than you the, should. Uh, As and you I should. can't, you know, I'm wearing a suit today, so. <laughs> I was gonna say, we should have had you wear the short pants today. Yeah. We, we, could have, we could have made that decision ourselves. Yeah, I wasn't thinking of that either, but. Yeah, wow, boy, see, you are a very accomplished guy. You're yeah. winning best legs. Never yeah. would have guessed that yeah. either. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so if, if we talk a little bit, so the family business piece is interesting. Uh, you, you, you had talked about learning a lot through that process. I'm assuming you had great role models uh, in, in your parents just to kind of see their work ethic and the things they did yes. day in and day out. What would you say are, are the two biggest things you learned from your parents, not even so much on the personal side, but on the professional side, just watching them uh, go about their daily life? One thing uh, my dad talked about a lot is how um, uh, a, a transaction has to be really beneficial for both parties. And uh, I, I really have taken that to heart. I, I saw it in how he treated people. Um, he was never interested in uh, ripping someone off or overcharging for uh, products or services. He, he, he really felt strongly that, uh, that that was important in business, to treat people well and, and, uh, and be fair all the time. And the other thing about my dad and my mom was they were um, extremely frugal. They were both children of the Depression, and they would talk a lot about how there literally was no food on the table. And my dad said I would hunt squirrels and literally fillet and eat squirrels to basically to survive at that time. And he never, and my mom, my, my mom and my dad never lost kind of that frugality in their approach. So like my dad did everything. Like if there was a storm, like a snowstorm, we would get in the car and go down and shovel out the alley by the store and the sidewalk in front of the store. We lived in New Berlin, and this was 44th and Lisbon in Milwaukee. It wasn't like we were going to pay someone to shovel. That wasn't even an option, right? We'll just go down, grab our shovels and a snow thrower, and get that work done, you know? And he worked uh, Saturdays when the stores were open, Monday, you know, six days a week. Um, so that, that uh, I think that sense of being fair with people and, uh, and just working really hard are the two things that, uh, that I took from from the family business and from my dad in particular. Yeah, yeah, so in the role that you're in now, 
Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm curious about you, you had alluded to your faith earlier. And one of the things that, that I really admire about you as well, too, is, is it's not there's a secular gym and there's a spiritual gym. You, you are a gym. And I, I don't know how you turn that on or turn that off. I mean, you're, you're supposed to be spiritual you at home. When you go to the office, you take the hat on. Like, I, I don't know how that works. Yeah. But, but, but you live your faith. You embrace your faith. You openly talk about your faith. Has that been an easy thing to do, especially in the business world where you have this, this kind of political correct culture? I don't know where this person stands. Am I going to lose business? C can you just describe how easy or difficult has that been for you? Well, ironically, that's a very interesting question, and I think you're a big part of the answer. And I don't know if I've ever really talked to you about this, but one thing about my mom and dad and the way I grew up was you don't really bring faith and politics into the business environment. So that wasn't anything that was done when I was a child. And I kind of took that, even though we, we were uh, devout Christians and churchgoers, that you just didn't talk about it. And you didn't talk about money and you didn't, you know, they were very private that way. And I kind of took that forward in my business career for years and years. And um, when you walked in the door the first time, we were referred to meet each other, Paul, by a common acquaintance. I didn't know, I didn't know you at all at that time, or of you. And uh, within 10 minutes, you were talking about your faith in that meeting. And it was, a, it was a real business meeting in our conference room. And I just found that like so uplifting, and I, I gravitated to you because of it. And, and of course, then I started to chime in about my faith. And after that meeting, I, I really um, decided that that is something I'm going to do moving forward. I'm going to evolve my approach, kind of shed what I was taught as a kid, and, and be much more vocal about it in my business situations. And uh, it's been tremendous. It's only been a few years. If you would have met me five years ago and not had that kind of impact, I, it would have taken a lot to draw that out of me in a conversation, whereas now, I, I, you don't have to draw it out of me. Yeah, well, I bring that up. I appreciate, and I remember, I remember that very. You very remember sitting there? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I don't remember. Do you remember who introduced us? I, I don't even. Yeah, know. it was Mark Case from Business Development Pros. Okay, that's yeah. sure. Mark remains a good friend of, of mine and to mine this day. Too. Yep. Yeah, and I remember that. I mean, again, just it, it's unbelievable how quickly you can bond with somebody if you have those common similarities, yes. whether it be faith, whether it be politics, whether it be family, whatever the case was. And I just remember that within ten minutes, it's like I knew you for a long time. Yeah. And, and that, that meeting just flew by, and I think it's because we we're able to obviously connect at that level. Right. One of the things that I, I want to dig a little deeper on, you said since you've been a little bit more open about your faith in the workplace, it's been phenomenal. Like, you've, it's really gone well for you. Yeah. Phenomenal how? What does that mean? Well, I just think the response, people gravitating to you kind of, I think, sometimes because of that openness about your faith. I mean, I knew, especially in today's culture and social environment, that, yeah, I, I might offend some people. But I, I decided that's okay. Um, and quite frankly, I might um, attract more people than I offend. And either way, I'm, I'm being so genuine that it just feels like the right thing to do moving forward. And yeah. it, it'll take care of itself, and it has. We've, whether we would have been growing to the extent we're growing in our business uh, without that change, I, I'll never know because you can't take two paths and play out both scenarios. But it's, it, it's definitely been very uh, rewarding to get, to get more open about that subject. 
Yeah, well, speaking about getting open, I mean, especially as an established business leader in the community, I'd love your thoughts on this. I mean, you, you said, you know, conventional wisdom tells you you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. I, I get that. Yeah. Based on the conversation we just had, we throw conventional wisdom out the window when it comes to our faith. Yeah. It's not so much who we are, it's whose we are, and we're very strongly aligned in that regard. Right, right. What, a, what role, if any, though, do you feel businesses have with respect to politics? Like, for instance, I know you're a big Bucks fan, and the, the Bucks, again, I'm, I'm going to stay right down the center here, just yeah. kind of talk about it objectively. You know, the, the, the Bucks have, have really been vocal supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. And you've seen it on jerseys, you've seen it on the court, yeah. and, and, and that's their decision to make. I totally respect them for whatever decision they as an organization want to make. Some people really, really loved it. Yeah. Other people really, really didn't like the stance that they took. Correct. Now, not just talking about the Bucks, that's one example, but if, if you as a company you sat in lounge, if, if you want to talk about racial justice or whatever topics might be on your mind, what role does the business community have in situations like that? Should, should you, like the Bucks, be outspoken or should you kind of just be, ah, you know what, we're just going to do the best we can and go from there? I think that's, that's a great question and I think, Paul, I mean, my perspective is that's another significant decision that each corporate entity or owner has to make. I mean, you, I guess you'll, to answer that, you, you'd have to feel pretty convicted about your stance on some of those subjects, right? Some of those political and social subjects. I can tell you, for me, I've chosen not to evangelize about my, my views in those areas. I have views, um, but I just don't feel like I want to make Saturn Lounge, um, I guess, uh, known for its strong views in those categories. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, I think in some, in some ways that's so divisive right now that it's dangerous territory. So, so with this, is it... Is it a, a more challenging time to be a business owner now than it was 15 years ago for, for, for that reason? And the I reason, think so. And the reason I ask is, God, social media. I mean, I, I, I've, got, I've got a really loving family, but not all my aunts and uncles agree politically. Yeah. And, and, right. and to see people that love each other, that have spent years together, kind of go at it the way they do on social media. Yeah. I mean, well, we live in kind of a divisive time. Right. So with, with, with so many different controversies, with 24-7 access to information, is it a little bit more difficult to navigate those waters and being a business owner in, in trying times like this? It, well, it certainly feels that way. Don't you agree? I mean, it, 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 it definitely feels more challenging. I know even just interacting with our employees, um, because we've got, we've got a mix of beliefs and we've got some employees that are very vocal about where they stand. And, um, and I choose as the owner and the leader of the group to not be real vocal about it. I think most people kind of know where I stand on most of those issues. Um, but I don't feel like I want to have arguments in the office environment. I don't like to see the fighting among family members. Uh, I don't know who, who has said it first, but, uh, uh, a country divided is a country that will fall, right? And I'm worried about that for our country. It has become so divisive and seemingly so split down the middle and so venomous that uh, it's, it's a primary concern for sure. So, so how, do you, how do you navigate that though? And then what's really nice about 
This program in particular is, it, it's a show where we talk to business luminaries and top executives and the majority of our audience are business luminaries and top executives. So I think people would really love your thoughts on this. Yeah. How do you navigate that then? Because you know, you've got like First Amendment rights. You, you've got people that want to be themselves. You've got right. people that might maybe have strong views at the office. I mean, how do, you, how do you allow people to be themselves without letting it get out of control as a business owner? How have you been able to walk that line? Well, I think because we're small <laughs> enough, um, we haven't really had to publish formal um, rules or initiatives on the subject. I think um, there's probably more at stake as you get larger and have more employees. Um, we have really, at our, at our business, done nothing major on that subject. So I don't know, what, what's your opinion, Paul? I mean, has, has the Star Group done anything like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, one of, the, one of the, the, the things that I would say with the organizations that I'm associated with is, you know, my, my definition when it comes to diversity is a little bit different. I, I think when people talk about diversity, you, you normally hear uh, people talk about external, male, female, black, white, old, young. And I think that's important. I mean, I yeah. think that's an element of diversity. But I also think if you had 15 45-year-old white men in a room, you could have a very diverse room. Because for me, diversity is your ability to be your true, authentic self and be appreciated anyway. Yeah. So I accept you for being a conservative. I accept you for being a liberal. I accept you for being an atheist. I accept you for being a Christian. And I think one of the things that, that I try to foster with my organizations is I want you to be your true, authentic self. I may not agree. Yeah. I may not subscribe to those beliefs. Right. But if I'm not allowing you to be your authentic self, I can learn from you. I, I, I want to learn, well, you know, where did this worldview come from? Why do you look at life through this lens? And I'm amazed at how much I learn from people just based on their background. And it certainly seems like that's kind of the corporate culture that you enjoy at Saturn Lounge as well. Yeah, absolutely. We don't try and censure anyone's opinion or um, limit in any way. We, but we're also not truthfully trying to, um, you know, uh, light a, a fire or a spark a flame. You know, it's not like we're deliberately having debates or discussions about these topics. But inevitably, they're coming out throughout the office. Yeah. And, um, it seems like we've handled it, I think, pretty well considering we haven't had any major issues with it. And, and I know, again, because I listen and I, and, and, you know, and observe, I know that there's a pretty large range of opinions just even in our own building, uh, 35 employees, you know? Yeah, well, um, and I, as I've said, I admire Saturn Lounge for your corporate culture. Obviously, it starts from the top down. It doesn't mean you're the most important person. It doesn't mean that you're better than anybody. But an organization takes its cues from the leaders. Yeah. And you're obviously setting the tone. You're obviously doing a great job from, from your purchase owner. The other thing that I think you do a great job with is, and again, don't take this personally, but, but marketing is kind of a dime a dozen. I mean, yeah. so some of the things that you do from helping with websites and videos and photographs and all the great marketing tools that you provide. Now, you're very, very good at it. But one of the things that I've really admired is how in this very crowded space, you're able to create a unique niche for Saturn Lounge. I mean, you've been able to differentiate yourself from some of the competition. Yeah. Could you tell our viewers here, how have you been able to do that? What are some of the Saturn Lounge differentiators and how have you been able to carve out that, that niche, that role for your organization? Well, I appreciate the compliment, number one. And, you know, it's kind of been a fun evolution. Um, the the uh, backstory is, when I started in the family business, this is my father-in-law's business originally, uh, there was just one corporate entity, Digital Color Incorporated, it was a graphics pre-press firm. And 
we, he, we were in chapter 11 when I came on board, uh, reorganization. And my father-in-law approached me and said, uh, how would you like to be my business partner and help me really um, you know, rebuild digital color, but then really figure out how we can diversify and evolve? And we, um, I, ca I came in in 96. We started finding more pre-press clients at that time. But we knew that that as a standalone entity was not a long-term solution. So we uh, identified photography in the early 2000s as a really logical additional offering for the community. We knew that photo was evolving from uh, like a film-based uh, art and craft to uh, digital. And we already really understood digital files in our building. And, uh, and, we, and Saturn Lounge was born. So, I, I'm probably being awfully long-winded in my answer, Paul, but we've just always evolved to where we felt we could be most valuable to our clients. So in those early years, we were working for a lot of marketing agencies and ad agencies. And then what I started to see happening was they all decided they wanted to try and do this work themselves. They don't need specialists in pre-press. They don't need specialists in image and color retouching. They don't need specialists in photography. and, and uh, they can put in departments like that. I had multi-million dollar clients. I would walk in and they'd go, oh, by the way, we just, uh, we just bought a Kodak approval. We're, we're going to start doing all, all our work in-house, you know? And, and I respected and understood that decision, but it really made it clear to me that uh, our strength was going to be to help our clients grow their businesses using our brains, our minds, our creativity. So we're not going to rely on what some other agency comes up with for a strategy or brand positioning or, or execution. We're, we're going to de develop and offer those skills in-house. And I had the unique ability, having been a, um, a partner of all these different agencies and corporate entities, to be able to find really talented people to bring into the fold to help with the mission, you know? Yeah. Um, I had access to these people because I was in working with them every day in our role uh, in those early years. So you're, I, that's a long answer to a, a, a short question, but it's, it's really just been an evolution of where, where can we help our clients most and really how can we most directly impact our success. It's not by sitting around waiting for someone to decide they need our help. It's about going out and helping people. and and, and and the services that come along with it then. Yeah, this may seem like a really granular question, but it's my show, so sit back and yeah. deal with it, man. I get to ask questions like this. Yeah. Uh, describe to me Jim Colhart's decision-making process, because as I've gotten older and as I've gotten a little bit more wiser to the world, I have really been drawn to executives that, that have good decision-making abilities. And, and that's not an easy thing. I mean, how many times do you see a big executive consistently make the wrong decisions? I mean, it, it does happen from time to time. Oh, yeah. So when do I act? How do I act? With what urgency do I go forward? I mean, there's so many things going through an executive's mind in any given day with respect to these decisions. I would love to know because, again, you are not a perfect human being. I think you're going to be the first to, to admit that. But over the course of your life, Jim, personally and professionally, you've made a lot of good decisions. Now, you've made probably some pretty bad ones, but you've mm -hmm. also made a lot of good ones. Mm -hmm. What does Jim Colhart's decision-making process look like, and what do you think we might be able to learn from that to some degree? It's a great question. Um, it, I'm not particularly scientific, but there's a process. You, you, you collect as much information as you can, right? Um, I believe. Um, 
talk to as many uh, informed people as you can. I don't make any decision of any magnitude without bringing in people that I believe are smarter and more experienced in the area that the decisions uh, that we're facing is in, you know? So it's a matter of uh, collecting as much information and data as you can, talking to people for their perspective. Uh, but then in the end, um, it becomes to me much more of an emotional, uh, faith-based um, art or skill. I, I, my, I always say if it doesn't feel right in my heart or my gut, it's not the way to go, you know? You just know, I think, uh, or at least I feel I do most of the time, if, if this is the right path, just based on how I feel about the decision, you know? And if I'm cringing and I'm nervous, then I know we either act or don't act, uh, depending on what that, that, great, that, what, what that uh, next course of action would be. But when you just kind of have that sense, I've done my due diligence, I've talked to the right people, and I just have faith that this is what we need to do next, boom. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And one of the things that, that really resonates with me, now you had mentioned feel and you would have mentioned emotion. And, and I do believe people more often than not are emotional buyers. They make decisions sure. on emotion. But, but well, maybe you can relate to this and I'd love your thoughts on this. One of the things that used to get me in trouble from time to time is I, I would move too quickly based on emotion. Okay. I, I get an email and I feel a certain way and I act on it right away. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe something doesn't go according to plan. I was hoping something would fall through. It didn't and I immediately pivot. I don't, I don't stop and think about it, I don't pray about it, I don't sleep on it, I emotionally pivoted right away. Yeah. And boy, I got into some massive trouble uh -huh. just because that emotion can cloud your judgment, that, that, that emotion can just sometimes go to the forefront of your brain and it overrides some of the things that you should be doing or should be thinking. Have, have you ever experienced uh, maybe some more of those short-term emotional decisions and the consequences that uh, came from that? I, I have, but it's funny. I think we're wired a little differently that way. I actually have worked really hard to become a decision maker because my, my wiring was really to be more indecisive. So I was seldom like having that kind of knee-jerk emotional reaction. It was more like um, forcing myself to be uh, more decisive you know, in the, it, so yeah, if I really dig deep, I can probably think of a few situations where I just re, 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 reacted emotionally and then regretted it or realized it was a bad course of action, but it was really, for me, more a challenge of building de decision-making skills than, um, than making a lot of decisions. I just put it off. Yeah, yeah, and you're, yeah we, we complement each other in that regard yeah. fairly quickly. I've gotta work on slow down the decision-making, take a breath, whereas you were kinda of coming at it from the opposite That's direction. Right. Yeah. One of the things that you said just a minute ago that I wanna glom onto, and, and I, I respect you for this, you had talked about surrounding yourself with really smart, talented people that are better than you in certain areas. Yes. Whether or not you believe this, and maybe you know people like this, I had a conversation recently in one of my sales uh, consulting opportunities where the leader of this organization just didn't have the most talented people around them, and as I kept digging, and as I kept pressing, and as I kept going deeper, he finally blurted out, well, I, I don't want one of these people to take my job. Okay. And boy, that, that, was, that was really indicative of where this person's priorities were. I mean, he, he purposely kept away insanely talented people because he didn't want to be threatened by them. I see. He didn't want them to take his job at some point. And gosh, if I, if I surround myself with these really talented people, I might be out of a job in two to three years. I don't know about you, but that sounds like incredibly backwards thinking, doesn't it? It does. 
maybe it's born of not being the, the owner or the, the, the final decision maker in a situation. I, but I, I still can't really relate to, to that thinking. I mean, I can respect or understand maybe that type of thinking, but I'm, I'm the, the exact opposite. Like, like, I know in our building, the only thing that I may be the best at is I'm a career sales guy. So I do feel like that's my stake in the ground. Like, I could go to any corporate situation, any company, and become a really successful salesperson uh, if, you know, if I put my mind to it. But everyone else is better than me at everything else we do. <laughs> and I, I, I love that about it. I'm like the most talented photographers and uh, digital retouchers and 3D animators and illustrators and graphic designers and writers and our strategy team. I mean, I can't do any of this stuff. And they know it, and I, I don't pretend like I can. So um, for me, it's always been more about how can I find the most talented people to, to surround myself with, because it's just going to make our likelihood of success likelihood of success that much greater. Well, and, and I think, you know, finding insanely talented people can be extremely difficult, as you know. I, you've certainly surrounded yourself with a large number of them at Saturn Lounge, but finding them can be tough. I would say almost more than anything else, keeping yeah. insanely talented people can be difficult. And I, I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Saturn Lounge has a pretty good track record of, of keeping very good, top talented individuals. What's your secret, man? How, how are you able to keep these top talented people uh, working with you as often as you do? You know, in our environment, it's about being a positive leader, uh, being much faster to say please and thank you than anything else. Um, a creative loves um, freedom to create. So we maintain an environment where there isn't a lot of rigor in terms of um, rules and requirements. Like I know certain people don't want to write anything down, but they're amazing. So we don't require them to write anything down. We work around that. We support them with other people to get actual notes accomplished and details like that because they're off imagining and creating. So what I've found is that the most talented creative and marketing type people really thrive with the diversity we have of clients. And I'm, you know, it's always a risk someone will leave, but so few I feel would want to go work in a corporate environment and do the same thing for the same product or service over and over. Yeah. They just get bored to tears. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the, the, the approach to bring a diversity of uh, clients and client types in really keeps them engaged as well. But it's mostly about being just very supportive and positive and letting them do what they do really well. And that, I don't go in and tell the photographer how to shoot or light anything. I have no clue. I can hardly turn on a camera, you know? <laughs> and I own a photo studio. Yeah. But it's not because I, I am a technical fo photo person, it's because I love helping businesses with really great imagery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you mentioned bored to tears, so something, so something deep inside tells me bored to tears and Saturn Lounge aren't uttered too much no. in the same sentence. Every I time know. I walk into your organization, it's just, there's life. There's noise, there's photo shoots, there's energy, and yeah. what, what, what a great uh, atmosphere Thank to be you. a part of all day. Thank you. A lot of people say that. They're like, I just feel something when I come in here. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been working from home with some of our team since COVID, and it's really been missed, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, we're bringing people back again now. And uh, we're going to offer even more flexi flexibility. I've always been one that I'm not... Uh, I know some agencies where like, you're like just fired if you're not in your desk at eight or you're not there until five. I don't operate 
the business that way because I ask people to show up at four in the morning for a sunrise shoot. And then they're still going at five o'clock, packing up the van and getting the gear back to the studio, you know? So who am I to, to say on a day where you don't have one of those really intensive uh, client-facing projects that you still have to be here from eight to five? I, I don't even care. As long as you get your work done and you do it with passion and joy, uh, I'm not counting minutes and, and hours and things like that. Um, so that flexibility to, to feel comfortable working from home some of the time, working in the studio collaboratively some of the time, working in the agency collaboratively, I think has been part of the um, success as well. Yeah, and the other thing that I've noticed about you too, like I said, I've been a client of Saturn Lounge now for a, a couple of years. I mean, you were one of the individuals I dealt with. You were one of the people that helped make the sale. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it's interesting, like you said, you're not this massive organization, but you're big enough that when you're the owner or president or C-suite executive, some of these people just start taking a step back. You know, yeah. I used to be the sales guy. Yeah. I used to be the VP of sales. Now I'm the president, now you go do it. Right. But you continue to sell. And, and, and some people may look at that to say, Jim, stop working in the business, work on the business. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not one of those people. Right. That, that, that doesn't mean they're wrong. But what I like is, I, I think to some degree, it, it keeps your finger on the pulse. It, it keeps you involved to some degree in, in terms of what's going on in the business. Yeah. Make the argument for some owners and presidents and C-suite executives watching this that even though you're one of the top leaders, you should still be involved in the sales process to some degree. Well, I think that applies if you love sales. If, I think, I, I mean again, all, that's what I love, sales and marketing, but I would think that a president who came up through the financial side of the business might benefit from being really plugged in in that area even as the president. And what I've actually tried to do, and it's challenging, uh, but what I've tried to do is bring enough people around that I can do even more selling again. Like we've gone through this evolution where we've, where we've gone from graphics pre-press to photo, to photo video, to now a marketing agency. So th that's been a fun but challenging at times transition. And I've had to stay more involved in some of the operations uh, pieces than I really would like to. And I don't even think I'm the, the best at that kind of stuff. So as we're getting to this next level in terms of revenue and number of employees and uh, cl clients and budgets, I'm looking more at how can I even free myself up to do even more with our clients because there's nothing I love more <laughs> than working with our clients. You know, As soon as I get bogged down in trying to help uh, with process internally or, or managerial or organizational things, I, I, I lose some of that, that vim and vigor. You know? yeah. so, um, I don't know that it applies, it's just my experience. It's like, I know what I do well and that's what I want to focus on and enjoy the most. And, and make sure that all those other areas are covered by really hardworking, talented people. Well, and it's obvious you're doing exactly what you should be doing. I mean, again, we've known each other for a while, but just sitting a few feet from you, the passion that's coming out of you. I wish yeah. you'd open up a little <laughs> bit more, Jim. Yeah. Come on, get out of your shell, gosh darn it. Well, I appreciate it. You're the same though, Paul. I think that's why we hit it off right from the beginning, you mm -hmm. know? Um, you know, and no one I know has more uh, energy than you do. I mean, I, I'm not up at four in the morning posting on uh, LinkedIn and- I'm up at 3.30, Jim, yeah. come on. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm I slighted you. I'm not a slacker, See, I'm it off. <laughs> <laughs> and, and going at that level, I mean, it's impressive. And uh, 
so I appreciate the compliment from maybe the king of energy and passion. You yeah, know. no, I mean, that, that means a lot. But I mean, you and I have already kind of talked about this. And, and, and I was sharing with you, I did a podcast interview earlier today with a very successful financial advisor who's uh, you know, aligned with you and I spiritually. Mm -hmm. And my, my wife paid me this compliment just the other day. Now, now, you, now you know this. Now, you and I are in a good mood. Things are going well. I know you're, you're taking off for a little vacation here in the near future. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. But, but sometimes it's lonely at the top. Yeah. Sometimes these days are tough. There's lives that depend on us. There's a lot of stress. There's sleepless nights and everything else. And, you know, I, I can kind of internalize that to some degree. But it's interesting. My wife just the other day, I don't know, I've been in a good mood the last couple of days. And she looked at me and she says, man, there's a lot of joy coming from you. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, like you said, I mean, if you're doing things for the right reason, if you're very passionate about it, and, and in our case, I think if, if, if you're connected with, with God and your spirituality, I mean, life is so short. To be anything but joyful, yeah. to be anything but passionate, just seems like a waste. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I was blessed to work with you for the American Heart Association. We spent about a year and a half together doing that, and I know you have a, a story about loss in your family. Yep. One moment, your dad is here. One moment, your brother's here. One moment, your sister's here. The next moment, they're not. Mm -hmm. To go through life holding grudges and being miserable makes no sense to me. Do you right. agree with that? Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, I think that's the most important principle is do, just do something you love, and it won't feel like work or something you have to do. Um, I, I feel bad for people. Um, I don't study statistics a lot, but I've heard in passing that the majority of people don't even really care for the job they're in. And I feel like that's gotta be a miserable existence, you know? And if that's the case, then go carve out a job that you love, you know? And I know it's easier said than done. There are a lot of practical realities to that advice, but, um, and if you don't love what you're doing, go do something you love. Yeah, but, but, but you're right though, it, it's not, easy necessarily but i think anything in life worthwhile should be hard if it was easy everybody would yeah, do it sure. i mean people look at you right now and say well if i was jim colhart i'd be happy well you had to take risks there was a lot of uncertainty you had to put money on the line you, you had to sacrifice your, your 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 family time and your personal enjoyment for things and because you did it because you stuck with it we're seeing the product of you that we are today of, of course it takes risks but that's one of the things that bothers me too you're never powerless well, I need this job to live. You can find another job. It may be difficult for a while, but you can find something. We right. are all empowered to live the life and make the changes that we want to bring about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I, I think about what you kind of alluded to a minute ago about it being lonely at the top. Uh, I've done um, so much networking with other business owners since my father-in-law retired. You know, I would, I would laugh because, Paul, um, once we moved and combined the two companies in Waukesha, he was in his mid-60s, and, you know, he was definitely kind of checking out. You know, he'd, he'd come in at 10 and take a long lunch and leave at 2, and I'd say to myself, wow, what is he even doing here, you know? And, and then he retired, and I realized he was doing a ton. Like, at that point in time, I felt that extreme loneliness and pressure at the top. And for a, a number of years after that, like I hardly took a day off. When I was vacationing, I was mostly still plugged into the business with clients and employees. And th that was the piece that was missing when my father-in-law retired and Amy and I bought the, the business from my father and mother-in-law. But what I realized 
uh, about three or four years into that situation was I need to start to associate with other CEOs and business owners. And even though we don't have a formal board of directors, join organizations like Vistage and C-Suite for Christ and Alpha Group and uh, the uh, Waukesha County Business Alliance and get more involved in those things. Number one, I love people and I'm gonna meet a whole number of new people. Um, but two, I can learn a lot from these people who are running other companies and corporations because I wasn't doing really any of that when I was younger and my father-in-law was kind of the bottom line final decision maker in the business. I was just out working with clients having fun, you know? And then it became, okay, I've got a lot more on my plate now. Well, last question, and boy, I, I could keep this going for another couple hours, man, and I knew this was going to happen when I sat down with you, but this, is, this has been a, a true blessing, to say the least. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I know you don't have a crystal ball in front of you, yeah. and I'm not going to hold you accountable for what you say, but <laughs> looking into the future, yeah, we, we talked about the dynamic, uh, we talked about the, the landscape shifting a little bit for business owners, maybe yeah. based on political correctness, based on some of the, uh, the, the, the way things are in society today. Looking ahead, one year, five years, 10 years, whatever, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that are gonna face business owners and top executives? And what one or two things should we be preparing ourselves for to kind of mitigate those obstacles? It's a great question, difficult question. I've got a general high level answer. I, I, I mean, what popped into my head right as you were finishing was be prepared for change and be willing to change. I think more than ever, we're seeing technology and social situations and the business environment really, really change at a, what feels like to a 55-year-old guy, like a kind of a frantic pace, you know? So I think it's being really diligent about looking forward and trying to be on top of trends. I know we do it in marketing all the time. I mean, the, the way algorithms are changing on the social media platforms and how we can advertise in digital space, but also the types of contracts we can do with uh, broadcast and uh, you know other types of platforms that that's changing all the time. You can't you can't hold on to what was the case a month ago or a year ago. Um, I don't know if that's the uh, complete answer you were looking for, but it's the first thing and felt like the most important thing that popped into my head. Yeah, hey, I was looking for whatever came out of your <laughs> mouth, brother. So that was fine. That's a difficult question. Yeah, because it's so you you just can't predict the future, right? Right. Well, and I think if and we you were, can't take two paths. Right, and I think if we were sitting here two years ago, who would have predicted COVID? Right. Who I mean, who who possibly could have called that? Exactly. So, so just being able to react and anticipate uh, the unexpected to some degree. But got to tell you, Jim, I, I was looking forward to this conversation. You did not disappoint. Uh, but on a personal level, it's just been a blessing to know you for the last couple of years. I mean, you, you've enriched my life. Uh, you've made me a better person because of it. And I think based on your appearance here today and sharing the information that you did, uh, you really enriched our audience as well. So it really means a lot that you were here today. Well, I really appreciate it, Paul. I feel exactly the same way. You know, thank you for inviting me to be uh, with you today and uh, looking forward to staying connected moving forward. Great. Wow, a big thanks to Jim for joining us here today at Serendipity Labs for this episode of YG One-on-One, -on -One, written by FlexScripts and sponsored by Health Payment Systems. I love that Jim built his agency one step at a time, focused on finding incredible talent and was able to stay ahead of every single curve. I'm glad I could have a conversation with him and now I've got a question for you. Who do you wanna see on this very program? 
YG One on One is about bringing together free thinkers and business luminaries who can help educate and inspire you to think unconventionally and join us as we break the rules of business. Drop your suggestion in the comments section below or on any of the Young Guns social media channels. Speaking of social media, just a friendly reminder to be sure to follow the Young Guns movement on Facebook, LinkedIn, and right here on YouTube. We also distribute our shows as podcasts, so go ahead and give us a listen during your commute, workday, doing the dishes, or whatever you just so happen to be doing. Thanks again to Jim Colhart, owner of Saturn Lounge, for sitting down with us here today on YG One on One. As always, I'm Paul M. Newberger. We'll see you next time.